This is a Soul Fire production. Are you ready to enhance your sexual, erotic, and relational intelligence? Welcome to Higher Sex, where we take sex education to the next level. Come here to get curious about sex and cultivate acceptance, deep love, and intimacy. No topic is too hot to handle. As a psychotherapist and sexologist, Kelly playfully leads listeners through worlds of informative and actionable sex education, personal stories from her inspirational guests, and leading edge research from trusted experts. Higher sex is scandalous and explorative, leaving you wanting more. Let's keep this conversation going. Subscribe today so you don't miss out on these hot new episodes each week. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Higher Sex. I am welcoming Amy Latta to the show. She is a registered psychotherapist who specializes in sex and relationship therapy. I've had the pleasure of getting to know Amy and learning a ton from her as we attend our peer group sex therapy supervisions. She is a wealth of information, so filled with wisdom, and I love that I get to interview her and we get to jam one-on-one during this episode. She talks a lot about pain during sex and works closely with pelvic floor physiotherapists. And she also works with a lot of people who come from a faith-based background as well. So stick around. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, me too. Usually we are jamming in peer sex therapy supervision groups together. So this is fun for us to be able to connect one-on-one. I would totally agree with that. Yeah, I would love to just dive right in and for you to share a little bit about your journey into the world of sex therapy. What got you started to branch into that area? Because it is a specialization and it is an area that a lot of therapists or people will steer clear from. That's my experience anyways. Yeah, no, I would agree with that actually. I have the same experience as well. I've been working in mental health for well over 10, almost 15 years now. And I was looking for an edge for myself and my supervisor who said to me, oh, you'd be really great at this. And I actually laughed at her the first time. Oh, did you? I said to her, I was like, oh my goodness, like sex? Like, are you sure? (laughs) And she was like, yeah, like you should definitely consider it. And I had thought, you know, for sure I would want to do relationships and couples. At that time, I had already had been trained in family systems theory. So I was also interested in doing family work. And so my caseload had, had a mixture, but it seemed that specifically when we were dealing with couples and people who were in relationships, the conversation around sex was really like a distance piece for myself. And it was just like one question in terms of the assessment. And I found myself being really drawn to that type of area. And it was actually my supervisor who really pushed me into this expertise. And Um. I find for myself, like looking back, some of my hesitation was specifically even around my own upbringing. I myself, uh, I'm a Christian and grew up in a faith community of the church. And for me, I really felt like ill-equipped in order to even do this field of work. And what's been interesting for me as I've journeyed into more relationship and sex therapy is really noticing how many people are actually dealing with sex issues that 
people may not actually be aware that it actually is a sex issue because sometimes when we're working with different communities where sex may not be talked about enough or sex education is very minimal or maybe there's a certain narrative around sex they actually feel like the way their sex life is is what it's supposed to be and then there seems to be this moment in their life where they're like oh wow like there's people who have different types of sex or maybe they can have sex more frequently and i didn't know it was actually a problem but now i actually want to know how to to fix it. And that's really where I get excited. When we talk about women who are experiencing pain during vaginal intercourse, or don't understand that they actually can orgasm, and they're actually allowed to orgasm Mm -hmm. as a woman, and as well as working with couples around desire. And what does it mean to actually have different desires between one another? And how do we actually navigate that? It gets me really excited to hear people say, I didn't think this was a problem. I thought this was normal. Right. (laughs) And it's like, oh, like it actually is something that I can work on and I can actually change. That must be so meaningful. And it really, that you shine a spotlight on areas where people, like you said, wouldn't even realize that it was a challenge or concern or maybe something they're missing out on just because they didn't have the information or a space to even explore and talk about it openly and freely. Exactly. And and some of it also is a little bit of a own selfish piece as well, where for myself, and we know this as sex therapists, a lot of the work we're doing is also in reference to our own selves and to what we're learning in the world. I myself, I I am married, I have two children, and I've birthed both children vaginally. For myself, I wasn't aware that there was actually going to be so many postpartum effects to my own body, and even changes to my own body before getting pregnant, as those type of challenges of trying to even get pregnant, and what does it look like to actually birth those children, and actually experience pain, and experience the changes in who I am as a female, as I'm changing through that postpartum period. And I think, you know, when we're dealing with the issue of sex in the relationship, myself as a therapist, I love looking at how do we actually be able to communicate those changes and actually check in with ourselves to make sure that we are actually okay and giving ourselves permission to be in that moment of sex mm-hmm. versus trying to push through and actually putting a different level of expectation for ourselves of like, oh, I'm postpartum six weeks, I have to be able to have sex now, or... (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the number that everyone, like, throws around like it's confetti, right? Like, at six weeks, you'll be fine. And it's not always the case for everyone, right? No, it's not. There's so many things that end up interacting with that, right? So comparatively, if you've torn or if you've had an episiotomy, dependent on how traumatic that specific birth had been, if you had to have an emergency C-section, forceps, vacuum, all of the great technology that we have now in 2020s, we're so thankful for them. Because it does bring the said baby into this world. But in reference to that, we end up birthing that child to actually go through a traumatic experience. And that that can look very different. Very different for each person. Yes. Yeah, because one person could, you know, have the same experience and maybe not be as impacted by it physiologically or emotionally. And then for another person, it could feel very traumatizing. Yeah. And I think even when you bring that up... Part of me is laughing because I think of how many times do we actually think about getting pregnant, if you're listening, and maybe you are thinking about getting pregnant, and you start asking people what they went through getting pregnant or what they went through for childbirth. And usually people are more than often wanting to share their experiences. Mm -hmm. That is a fact. 
I'm even experiencing that now, you know, as I'm about to become a first time mother where people are telling me about their beautiful experiences and their horrific experience. And like, there is just such a vast spectrum of possibilities of the ways things can go. And so it's like, I'm trying to go in even with no expectations because I want to try to avoid that traumatic piece by having expectation and then it not going according to plan. And when we're hearing other people's stories, that anxiety tends to start residing in our own bodies. Because then we start asking ourselves, what if that's my story? What if I don't get pregnant? What if I actually end up getting completely torn from the inside out or have to wear a diaper for the rest of my life? Again, I'm exaggerating. It is a reality for some people who may be listening. But I think the reality is you know, even resonating for ourselves that when we hear these stories and these stories are being shared around, we ourselves are getting so much feedback in our own selves that we ourselves are feeling even more tense about that process of Mm -hmm. that potential change in our bodies. And so I know that before we started recording this, we were talking about how you do see a lot of clients, particularly Volvo owners who experience pelvic pain or vaginismus, and you work closely with a lot of pelvic floor physiotherapists, especially a hub that's located in your town. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more around how you collaborate with pelvic floor physiotherapists and how it is such a physiological component and emotional, sometimes psychological as well, and how it's important to collaborate when dealing with pelvic pain? I love working with pelvic physiotherapists. I believe that if you are a vulva owner, you need to be actually seeing a pelvic physiotherapist. And I'm going to even extend that as well for people who have penises as well, because pelvic physiotherapists aren't just for the female anatomy. Okay. But we know that if you are vulva owner, you need to be actually assessed and actually understand what's going on down there. Sometimes people don't know what's actually in there, where stress points are at, actually having that type of assessment with a pelvic physiotherapist who's actually educated in that will really help educate you. And by collaborating with them as a sex therapist, it really provides me with an opportunity to get a full 360 understanding around what specific physical concerns are we dealing with. And maybe that is a lack of education of what's going on for you. Or maybe it's also in terms of um, wanting to be able to address certain goals. So for example, Many people who come onto my caseload may have uh, specific diagnoses like vaginisma or dyspnea or genital pelvic pain. Those are three specific ones that are coming to my mind. And they themselves have specific goals that they're working with their pelvic physiotherapist to be able to open up their vagina more. Again, one of those things, and maybe you've talked about this on previous podcasts, Kelly, but you know, (laughs) the education even around what is a dilator and that there is different types of graded dilators, right? They can go up from one up to a size five and being able to open up her vagina more. And, you know, even being able to work with people who are experiencing dyspnea or general pelvic pain is where does that pain reside? And a pelvic physiotherapist would be able to assist you to actually assess where that specifically is. I was going to add though, like for myself as a sex therapist, working in collaboration with them, it allows me to actually understand where that is. And then how do you as a person actually process that? And when we look at mindfulness techniques, being able to even process around what if the pain actually never goes away? Oh, that question hurts. And what if your vagina never actually does open? And if you are somebody who's listening and is wanting to be able to have vaginal sex with the penis, and what does it mean to not actually have a penis inside your vagina, and maybe you are trying to get pregnant or you are wanting to have that type of experience, Mm -hmm. what, what would happen if the disappointment 
is a reality for you never to actually achieve that. Um, I can already feel the sense of change in our own, in our own conversation, eh? Well, exactly. And what's coming up for me is like some grief work that needs to happen there, right? And acceptance work in terms of we're told, you know, you can find a partner, match up, figure it out. And it's supposed to be easy peasy, no complications. It's magic. Right. Magical. It's all just like bring the stork and baby or whatever. I don't know what that I think that's old school. I don't even know the proper story about it anymore. But then when you do come up against these challenges and no one talks about them, it's like, what's wrong with me? Or maybe tolerating the pain. This is normal. I'm sure there's like so much shame and confusion and heartache that can come into the experience too. And then feeling at a loss or feeling defeated of where do we go from here? Like, well, what's available to me from this point forward? Let's just center in on the situation of a person who has been seen by a pelvic physiotherapist or a gynecologist or their GP who has said to them, hey, you have a diagnosis of vaginismus, which means that that person has a vagina who is not, the muscles aren't relaxing or they're not opening up enough in order to have some type of penetration. There's a wide variety of different situations where, you know, some people can't be able to even put like a Q-tip in or like a finger to even in terms of not even be able to have an entry in terms of a penis or a dilator. The sadness in that, like you said, is the expectation or the narrative that we have in terms of this should have been easy. And I'm going to tie this specifically to people who, you know, maybe weren't in committed relationships and maybe they were having one night stands and they just quickly shifted really quickly off of that intercourse component. And now it's come to a time where maybe they are in a committed relationship and they're like, Hey, I want to have a baby now. This hasn't maybe been an issue for me, but here I am now in my mid thirties. And it's like, I want to get pregnant. Mm. And maybe they are having fertility issues on the external right? Because people maybe are putting pressure on them and saying to them, why don't you have a baby? You're in a relationship. You've been married. You fill in the blanks. And on the external, people are now considering this as a fertility issue. The sadness behind the curtain may actually be that they actually haven't been able to, again, I use the word achieve very lightly, but achieve the fact in terms of having penis to vagina sex. And so then, you know, in, in collaboration with pelvic physiotherapists, and I'm going to specifically invite, you know, our doctors into this conversation as well, is what does it look like in terms of alternative options to be pregnant? But then again, we're going to come back to this grief work around now there's the sadness of there's the potential of you can't actually conceive or won't be able to conceive the way that you thought you would be able to. Exactly. A lot of sadness in that, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. And it's around the expectations and the narratives and the dreams that you've mapped out for yourself. I'd love for you to talk more about how you incorporate or unpack people's definition of what does sex mean to you? Because I think even by you even saying, by having, you know, more casual sex or even able to navigate around or become creative and broaden what sex means to you, or maybe it's not penis and vagina sex or penetrative sex, and it's been fulfilling and okay. But now when we're trying to focus on procreation or it becomes a fertility challenge, we're looking at it a bit differently. But how do you bring that into your work, especially working with a lot of different clientele? I'm sure that feeds into and helps people to explore what sex means to people. So can you touch on that? I find with people who come to my practice, they are very focused on that linear answer in terms of A answering B. So I want you to be able to help me have more intercourse in order for me to be able to have more sex with my partner 
or I want you to be able to solve my desire issue. I feel like my low sex drive is a really big issue. So I need you to solve my sex desire issue so that I can have more sex. Again, I'm going to typically it will be intercourse, vaginal with penis, but you know, being able to achieve that narrative that I feel is an ex expectation for me. And in sex therapy, we're able to actually enter into a conversation about what does it look like for you as a person to be able to enter into an experience of sex versus the act of sex. Because even when we talk about people actually engaging in sex, it sounds very finite. It sounds very like, like standard, like stagnant. Yeah, I can see you nodding here. Like in front of nodding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With my dead hand nodding. face. Yes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but you know, even in terms of a cognitive shift, not only in our own minds, and again, hopefully one day, I hope our culture will shift to this too. But what does it mean to say to our partner, "Hey, I want us to have sex tonight," where it actually would be an experience for us to enter together, like we're actually going to be doing something together and co-creating it with one another. Yes. Actually seeing what's going to come of the situation versus we're looking at the destination as a finite piece. And this is, this brings into conversation in terms of even entering questions into therapy about like, and when do we know that sex is done? Mm. Sometimes people <laughs> laugh at me and they're like, literally like as if I'm stupid. They're like, <laughs> um, they're like when he orgasms. Mm. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Then, well, exactly. Who's laughing now? Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that's funny though, but yeah, it's, when, when he finishes or how do you know that sex is done? Yeah. Well, when we've orgasmed, part of my question, and maybe this is me wanting to disturb a little bit. Is, no, of course you what, want to disturb. <laughs> You're such a why, did, why, why does it have to end after the orgasm? Like, what does it look like to do good aftercare? And in terms of like hugging, kissing, touching in terms of like, you know, what does it mean in terms of cuddling, in terms of watching TV together? How often do we turn over and just look at our phones or we say thanks for that? Or maybe there's no conversation at all sometimes, mm -hmm. right? When we know that that is what's going to be happening afterwards, then that going towards a destination seems like I don't really want to go towards it. Right. It's like, if that's what's going to be happening after there's such a big disconnect, the, the pursuit of actually trying to achieve sex it doesn't actually become desirable anymore. So I've encouraged clients to actually start to move away from that linear component and actually start to consider how can we make this more circular or experiential, or I love to say the words like rather than A to B, let's make it an alphabet soup. Yes, I love it when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> right? And being able to actually say, hey, I know all my alphabet letters are in this soup and maybe C is going to come before A, M is going to come before L. And you know, I can hear all those people who love things who are in order <laughs> thinking <laughs> as they're listening yeah. to this podcast saying, oh my goodness, Amy, please stop that. I love when things are in order. In order. I love when things are so prescribed. Right. But if we know that sex is actually prescriptive and we know what's coming next, yeah. is there any anticipation? Is there any desire in that? Like when you know that a dessert tastes the same way. Over and over again. It can be your favorite dessert, but eventually you're gonna wanna you want you wanna taste something different. No, but I I am definitely the person who goes to a restaurant and wants to know what that different dessert tastes like. Mm. And that dessert, yeah, I'm gonna want to try it again because maybe I really liked it. And there may be still anticipation in that. But to to try something different or not to know what's to, what's to come actually builds the desire, actually builds that 
that anticipation of heart right. in terms of actually intentionally pursuing the other person. I love that. And I think you're touching on something because like, I love that when you talked about like co-creating, right? Where it's like, okay, do you want to do this event together? Or do you want to go have sex? And then you just know exactly step by step what's going to happen. But even starting at the onset of, you know, what are you feeling like tonight? Like, what are you into? Or like, how do you want to feel? Do you want to feel? Or how do you want to be touched tonight? Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah, exactly. And it's more about like managing each other's expectations and co-creating. Because if someone's like, oh, I want a long, drawn out, passionate, erotic, steamy pattern. Maybe someone else is like, the other person's like, I just want to have like a quickie and just like laugh with you. So it really is about trying to get on the same page and then also entering the space together and exploring together and just seeing and following the energy of what feels good for you or both of you. And I know some people, even when we talk about entering into space together, I recognize this, okay, for people who are listening, there is a lot of vulnerability and communication work and rawness that actually exists in that space to create. Yes. Yes. We talk even in some of our groups, it's just about even the eye contact can feel intimidating, right? Like holding an eye gaze and really asking for what you want. Well, what will my partner think of me? So really taking that risk and being vulnerable to actually create a real shared, meaningful, pleasurable experience. There's definitely an execution of your own voice in that time as well. And, you know, if you're a person who actually feels like already in your relationship that you don't know how to execute your voice outside of the actual experience of sex, it's going to be even more difficult to be able to do that when you're trying to be in a vulnerable, again, I'm going to add naked, Yeah. again, assumption of nakedness, but naked space of actually bearing yourself to another person. So what are some of the ways when we're working with um, individuals or partners to help them build that level of trust and safety to be able to create more of those shared spaces of vulnerability? To your point, if someone's having a hard time finding their voice outside of the bedroom, how do you support couples and partners in balancing that out or finding that voice and starting in a place that feels comfortable for themselves? One way is for the individual to actually do some self-awareness work and be able to actually ask themselves, what exactly am I looking for from the other person first? It's really important for you to actually know, okay, I am wanting this specific need to actually be addressed together. Again, I'm not specifically talking about the way you want to be touched or the way you want foreplay to look or the actual experience to go, but I'm more saying in terms of I'm actually having a deeper need that I want to be addressed when I'm with my person. So does that mean that you want to know that you're loved? Does that mean that you want to know that you're beautiful? Does that want to know that you're wanted, that you're desired, that you actually look super sexy or kinky or whatever you want to be able to call right. it, right? Yeah. Um, so what are you wanting from them? And being able to actually admit to yourself that you're actually seeking it, I would say is the first and foremost important thing. Oh, that's huge because it's being explicit, right? I want you to help me feel this way, or this is what I'm wanting out of the experience. But if you aren't being explicit or at least mindful about exploring that for yourself and then bringing that to your partner or partners, then they're not able to show up for you in that way or read your mind, right? So then of course, you might end up missing the mark and therefore desire could dwindle. 
And even on an individual, like even if you are saying to yourself, well, my partner doesn't really get this, or maybe they don't see it as a problem. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't want to go to a sex therapist, or maybe they don't, they would never even listen to this podcast, for example. Even you being able to say to yourself, this is what I'm looking for, what I'm actually wanting, will be a catalyst for you and the person that you're with and where the way that you actually engage with it. So, you know, even if you were never to say anything to them, you being actually to be mindful of how you are approaching the situation, how you're approaching the relationship, how you're approaching your experiences, which are sexual with that, is being able to actually identify, okay, I want to be able to gain this from them. And it's actually going to be a catalyst on how you actually hold yourself, how you engage, how you even respond to the relationship. I would say then the second part would be actually looking at, okay, how do I actually advocate for myself now that I know that this is a need for myself? And how do I actually advocate on my own behalf? And sometimes we think of advocacy as like something where we have to like, you know, go in like Joan of Arc and like rip things apart and be like, yeah. I'm here and I'm going to completely change Turn this. this down, yeah. But advocacy is the simplicity of actually being able to speak up to voice something, to say that this is not how I actually think that this should go down. And so being able to advocate on your own behalf, specifically when it comes to your own sexual experience, is such an empowering space to step into. Because it actually is you coming into a space of awareness of saying to yourself, I deserve, I want, I am worthy enough to actually start to say, I want it this way. And for you, whether that be in committed relationships, whether that be on one night stands, whether it be with multiple different people, is being able to actually set boundaries for what you are wanting or not wanting for yourself. Going back to what you were saying before, co-creating the experience and taking ownership and accountability for what you're bringing and asking for from the experience. But that's you stepping into the experience with confidence of feeling worthy of pleasure and to feel satisfied and obtain a sexuality that feels good for you. It sounds like it starts with finding your voice. Well, I guess understanding what you're desiring first and exploring a little bit that way, but then finding your voice and being able to ask for what you want. When we come to couples, I want to make a note about this is with couples, another good way that you would be able to do this is actually being able to ask for what do we actually expect? Mm-hmm. from one another yeah and sometimes we're actually acting in a way that's in response to what we think think yes <sighs> read your mind just there yes <laughs> think the other person is expecting from us or wanting from us and so it's really important for each other to actually be able to say okay i am expecting this and how validating it can be to ask and then actually hear maybe something that you've been telling yourself that you thought the other person is wanting from you And it can be so validating to hear from them that it's not actually something that they are wanting from you. So for example, I'm going to specifically speak to the more femme individuals where they are thinking that they have to look a certain way. Maybe they've compared themselves to media. Maybe they are specifically thinking like, you know, they have to look at how people look in porn or maybe, you know, they have a certain expectation how they looked 20 years ago. Being able to, again, I'm going to come back to the word advocate for yourself and say, hey, is this something that you're expecting? Is this something that you're wanting? And potentially even hearing them validate back to you that it's not actually a true reality is really something that you need to actually seek 
from other people. Would you say that sometimes partners will co-create together through the lens of too much caretaking? Because what you're touching on there is, well, if I ask for this, then this is going to, then their needs aren't going to be met, or then maybe they won't be happy. So then there's all these assumptions being brought in, which is almost the caretaking aspect, Mm -hmm. which can then actually not set the relationship up for as optimization in terms of like really exploring and asking. And it feels liberating to be able to ask for what you want. And to your point earlier, if someone comes in being like, you know, this is what I'm wanting, it really gives the other person permission to do the same too. Like, oh, what do I want now? Right? So it's like, who's going to step up and take that risk first? But do you feel like that's a piece of it where maybe there is a bit too much caretaking and worrying about what the other person? Yeah, I I love that word caretaking, because I do think it does play a role where we're trying to protect the other person from the potential damage that can incur. Damage meaning, well, maybe they're going to be put off with what I'm asking. Maybe they won't be attracted to me if I ask for this. Maybe they're going to, you know, not be into this. And then I'm asking for something where it could put a wedge between us. But then there's the reverse. What if, you know, this takes us to a whole new level or a whole new depth of experience together? So another area, I know you started off sharing a little bit about your journey of working with faith communities. Can you tell me a little bit more around how a sex therapist works and supports and helps bridge some of the psychosocial sexual education components potentially and where you see clients in that area and how you really support faith-based communities as a sex therapist? Great question. What's important to note here is when clients are actually coming to sex therapy is there's actually been potential years where they have been experiencing sex that's been dissatisfying for them. So sometimes we find specifically in faith communities where sex has been upheld as whether it be like, you know, you need to have sex after marriage or purity culture is very intact in that faith, or there has been a lot of shame or potential disowning if you do actually engage with any form of sexual experience that is, again, I'm going to speak to the heteronormative philosophy, you actually find that these couples can come in. I'm going to increase it to couples and individuals come in in terms of not knowing that there actually was the potential to actually have enjoyable sex. So there seems to be sometimes that there is a narrative following them in terms of that they were supposed to get married, have great sex, have lots of babies, have a great legacy, and that doesn't seem to actually end up happening. So they could come in and they actually have had painful sex for many years and no one's actually ever taken the time to actually educate them and say it's actually not supposed to be painful it's actually supposed to be enjoyable or we talk about desire sometimes they hold this perspective in terms of the male will have more sex drive than the female and specifically even the education around if they've had babies it's totally normal to have pain after sex. And that's just part of being a woman. And that's just part of being a young mother, for example. So I find that with working with people who come from faith communities, upfront, there is a lot of education and being able to clear up past narratives that actually have been doing a disservice to them. And I think there's a great sense of, of vulnerability and sensitivity that the therapist has to have in that space with the client because it allows them to actually enter to therapy to be able to say, I don't know all that I know yet. And it can be really intimidating. It can be really intimidating to come to relationship and sex therapy and feel like you are in a room with somebody who 
you know, know so much more about me and I feel so infantile or young, um, not being able to know these answers. But the therapist really needs to actually have a posture of actually hearing the person and actually knowing, okay, what's this, the best next information that actually is going to help that person? With where they want to end up for themselves, right? Because if, especially if, like, I love that you come from a faith-based background too, because then you have that lens, you're part of the community. And so it's about meeting people where they're at. Because I do know as a sex therapist, sometimes people will go to someone who's not comfortable talking about sex and they'll feel further shame, right? Whereas if someone who maybe comes from a faith-based community who goes see a very liberal sex therapist who has no knowledge of that, could feel very shamed in a different way, right? And so there's, yeah, so it sounds like you do a really good job of bridging a gap potentially for some people who maybe aren't talking about sex amongst their peers or community or finding good resources that work for them and meeting people where they're at and helping them explore in a way that feels good and safe for them. I think shame is a really good word that you just used. It is gauging the level of shame that the client is actually having because shame is so heavy sometimes in different communities. And there's been this component of what can be called sex surveillance and where the person feels constantly that people are judging or having a perspective on how they are actually engaging with sex, sexuality, identity, gender, etc. That to the component where they're afraid that they could and many do potentially lose their community, whether that be friends or family. And sometimes even more detrimental is if something is true about me, if I actually want to engage with this part that I feel is really true about my own sexual identity and how I want to express myself, what does that mean for me in terms of my own relationship with the divine or with God or with whatever they may believe in? There's so much shame and guilt that can be built into that. And so it's really important for not only us as sex therapists to actually be sensitive to that, but also to be aware as a growing culture and society that everyone is coming at this with different lived experiences and education and how they're actually talking about sex could be very different for the person next to us. And I think that's just a huge caveat all around because everyone is at a different level of comfortability and experience and lived experience and comes from different environments and walks of life. So just trying to be mindful and open and kind when everyone's, you know, talking about it or hearing someone's different perspective, even if it's polarized and not in alignment with your own because you don't have enough information. Yeah. Okay, so I did see on your website, though, that people can sign up if you're ever putting on seminars or workshops. So tell me just a little bit more around where you see your education hack going with in addition to, because you do a ton of stuff, but where do you see your education hack going in addition to you providing relationship and sex therapy online? So I just want to add that your information is going to be in the show notes. So if anyone's interested in reaching out to Amy for sex or relationship therapy, she serves everyone throughout Ontario. So feel free to reach out to her. But what are you thinking in terms of education, in terms of filling some gaps there, especially with lockdown? I'm finding that a lot of people are wanting to go find places online to further enhance their education, right? And their knowledge. Yeah, my, my practice now is 100% virtual and I do serve all clients across Ontario. And what I have found since the pandemic is the excitement in terms of doing virtual therapy with clients in their own home, being able to actually sit in spaces with them on video where it's really healing. 
typically people will have sex in their own home or will be in relationships in their own home and how healing it can actually be to actually engage in the conversation within the four walls of their own home. I found with clients coming to engage in relationship and sex therapy in person, there's this element of like being unsure if people knew if they actually were in my waiting room for that specific issue. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I people can be really afraid to actually say, like, oh, I'm gonna go see this or I have to do sex therapy. You know, I, I think it's worthwhile to actually say to yourself, I actually want to know as much as I can about myself. Mm. And sex therapy may be one way for you to actually spend some time to sit down with someone who's been educated in this and have the expertise and spend their days talking about it and actually dive a little bit deeper in terms of those narratives. In terms of further education, I find that there's a gap specifically in terms of what does it actually mean to dynamically converse with one another when we are actually wanting to expand our awareness and understanding from that linear type of thinking, as I was saying, to Mm -hmm. an experiential type of thinking with the person that we're with, right? What does it mean to actually advocate for yourself? What does it mean to actually be able to say what you want to create with other people? How do you invite other people into that, whether that be in committed relationships or other relationships, how to actually set boundaries? How does it actually look like for you to actually be able to say to other people, hey, like this is what I'm into. This is what I'm looking for and what I need in order to have the best experience is a really big gap when we're talking in terms of education and workshops. I think from there as well, there's also the opportunity in terms of doing education with, like I was saying, pelvic physiotherapists and other people who are in sexual health. How do we actually collaborate to provide well-rounded education for people to actually understand, not just that sex is a physical thing, Mm -hmm. but sex is actually something where we are engaging with it in order to better our whole selves. So what does it mean to engage with multiple different practices that address sex, but be able to look at from a physical, emotional, mental, psychological, and I'm even going to throw in their social and as well spiritual elements of actually experiencing sex. So the opportunity to actually flesh that out on a broader scale is what I'm looking at in the future. Oh, I love that. I can't wait to see and participate too, because it sounds like so applicable. Like it's taking the theory and the knowledge and the information, but how can people start to create these experiences and communities for themselves? to feel like total health and wellness, which includes relational and sexual health. I think another area too is, you know, what does it mean to actually identify with yourself as a sexual being? And this isn't necessarily in terms of, you know, how you express yourself or your identity. I think definitely those play a part, but even in terms of being identifying in your vulnerability and in your rawness of like, this is who I am and actually resonating with, what you're actually wanting and really diving deep into deeper sense of self work can be a really beautiful space to actually invite people on the masses, not just clients, but as well as a society in terms of stepping into that actual brave space of your sexuality. So empowering. And especially be able to do that within a community too, like of other like-minded people or people who are, you know, a, a safe place, especially if you're going to foster that and facilitate that too. So that's wonderful, Amy. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I feel like this was such like a good conversation. And obviously I want to have a million more with you. So you better come back on. I definitely will. I love this. I love being able to talk about this. And thanks for everyone just listening. It's been so great to be with you, Kelly. Yeah. Okay. And so if you guys want to get in touch with Amy, please like, look below in the show notes and check out her website and feel free to get in touch. I'm sure she's going to have some good seminars and workshops coming out. And also she offers a virtual private therapy practice to check her out. 